Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello, hello, hello. Liverpool are back in the big time. Welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. I'm joined by James and Max after a 2 0 win at the weekend against Crystal Palace, secured Liverpool's passage into next season's Champions League. Boys, how are we? God, it feels, uh, feels, yeah, feels good to be happy on a Monday for once. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, this is weird. I feel like I'm going to wake up and um, like Wilfred Zaha is going to be dabbing in my in, in front of me or something. <laughs> well, as I said, 2-0 did the job. Um, Chelsea and Leicester also both lost. So in the end, we didn't even need the win. Uh, to secure top four and not only did we secure top four after this absolute mess of a season we actually finished third in the end um yeah so overwhelming emotion I guess is relief happiness and optimism for next season I'm guessing boys yeah it's it's been one of those seasons where you've been happy for it to just be over and you can't wait for next season but it's been nice to finish on a high with the team and like you said, to finish third now, we don't have to go through Champions League qualification rounds. We know we're straight into the group stage now with third place. So it just means we don't have to start the season as early. And yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be on a high being a Liverpool fan this season because we've not had much of it, really. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> as, as any listener will know, I've not exactly been upbeat about Liverpool's chances of uh, making the top four. But no, they've proved me wrong. Um, yeah, I, th- I think um, next season, hopefully the uh, injuries are a bit less mad. Um, and with a couple of good signings, hopefully um, chance for the title again. That's what we have to be hoping for. So let's talk about the game a little bit itself. Um, like we said, before the game, I guess we were all expecting a win given our recent form but you never know with this Liverpool team this season and there was also the kind of the side narrative of being Roy Hodgson's final game and you know we had Leicester go ahead quite early early on so there was a lot of factors playing into into the match um obviously both goals were scored by Sadio Mane he looks like he's just needed a crowd all season, hasn't he, James? Because he was absolutely fantastic, I thought, um, yesterday. He just like a completely different player. <laughs> it's, I think he's been a theme of a, quite a couple of these podcasts in the last couple of months and weeks where we've talked about how to solve a problem like Sadio Mane. But it looks like having a crowd, though, you know, is just sort of took him up to that level of what we expected. I mean, we've all sort of known that it's there and maybe it was just a little bit of a blip that he was going through at the moment. Uh, but yeah completely made up for him and uh, his performance yesterday was deserved two goals. I think if he'd come off and he hadn't scored a goal, I think he would have been very disappointed. Uh, yeah, um, nice to see Mane uh, having a, g- a good game with a couple of goals. Uh, I thought he looked back to his best, really direct, great uh, great dribbling at his man, um, really helps put pass on the back foot. I think that's something that with him not playing as well, um, especially in the latter half of the season, I think teams have had a lot more freedom to push high up the pitch because they don't feel Mane's as much of a danger as he usually would be. But yeah, um, uh, the game against Powers, he was back to his best, really, really putting pressure on his right back and um, making some great runs and, of course, scoring two goals. Yeah, it was re- really, really good stuff. Um, obviously, with all the happiness and kind of, great end to the season that we've had 
There was also a little bit of sadness on Sunday as it really looked like it was Genie Vine Adams' last game. I think Genie and Klopp have been a little bit coy over the last week or two when asked about his future. And they've not really said very much, but given the reception he got at Anfield, he had a guard of honour from the players. He was given a, a nice little plaque. Um, and he basically said after the game, yeah, from July the 1st, I'm not a Liverpool player. So I think we can all safely say it was probably his last game for the club. Right time to move on, or do we wish he'd be staying with us? I wish he was staying with us. I still think, you know, with the, the level that Genie's been playing at the last couple of years, I still think he's got another two, three years maybe at the elite level. Um, obviously, from his message that he posted on Instagram where he said he'd hoped he could have stayed for a few more years, but things were different. So it sort of sounds like maybe the club have pushed him out or, you know, they don't want to pay the wages that he's asking for and there was no compromise, but... I think whoever gets him, whether it's going to be, you know, the rumours of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Inter Milan, um, whoever gets him is going to be a really lucky club because you're going to get someone who's a great servant who gives the role on the pitch and very rarely misses a game. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a big shame for us and uh, I'd have loved to have, for him to stay. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really argue with any of that. Weirdly for me, I would say that it's a bit of both. Um, would I have loved a player of Ginny's quality to stay at the club? Of course I would. Um, he's so good at holding onto the ball, really good under pressure. Um, it was fantastic against Palace. I thought his best game in a, a fair while, um, I thought, against Crystal Palace. I thought he was really, really good. Um, however, do I think that a player who realistically, when Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago are all fit next season, is um, probably not going to be were the first names on the team sheet. Do I think he should be in the top bracket of earners, which is allegedly what he was asking for? No. So I think the the opportunity for him to go get a nice big pay packet at a big club, um, experience um, a great European adventure, and for Liverpool to use the pretty hefty amount of money that I'm sure his wages take up to maybe go and get a younger replacement to come in and beef up the midfield a little bit I think this could be a deal that suits all parties but I really really wish him well he's been such a great servant to Liverpool and uh, yeah I mean I, I wrote a piece about him over the weekend he's been such an underrated part of the success that we've seen at Anfield in recent years yeah and in his statement he obviously says you know I didn't sign somewhere else everyone knows in football anything can happen um I wish I could stay for more more years, but I'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, blah, blah, blah. So I guess there's a tiny bit of hope on his side, but I think from the club side, it's kind of, it's done. Do we think he's got a move kind of in the back pocket, like somewhere else lined up? Barcelona was obviously linked quite heavily at the start of the year. The Cumin link makes sense, both having worked together at the Netherlands, but there is some speculation that Cumin may not be at Barcelona next year. Um, can, if if Barcelona doesn't happen, where can, where can we see him playing? Do you think it's going to be one of those elite clubs in Europe, a Barcelona, a Bayern Munich, a PSG, maybe somewhere like that? Yeah, I think it has to be for a club who's who's fighting for the Champions League. Uh, a team is going to be in quarterfinals and semifinals. I can't see him dropping down to a team fighting to get into the Champions League. I think he'll be he'll go to a team maybe like you know like we said where he's been mentioned to go to an Inter Milan or a Bayern Munich if the Barcelona move doesn't go through. Um, but to go back to your last point, um, it I doesn't sound like he has a club for definite to go to at the moment. It doesn't mm -hmm. sound like there's a clear sign from him to say, 
listen, I'm going to this, even if you can't mention the club for legal reasons, you can say, I'm going to this country or I'm going to this league or he's just not given any information. But um, it sounds like he, like you said, he wanted to stay in the statement. And it, it's just horrible when you see a player who's contributed so much to a club leave, um, especially for free, because obviously if you, you want to sell players, you don't want to let them run the contracts down. But um yeah, to see a player like Genie who was loved by everyone at the club and all the fans, I think it's um, the way it's been handled and the way it's been dragged on. Because we've known about this since December, you know, November, December, that he wasn't going to, there was murmurs that he wasn't going to sign a new contract. So to still be sat here in May and not know where he's actually going, um, yeah, it's, it's not a nice situation. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the clubs where I think, honestly, the three clubs that James mentioned before, Barcelona, Bayern Munich and Inter Milan, he's certainly a player of the standard to fit those clubs. He'd be a very Antonio Conte signing, experienced player um, from the Premier League, um, won a lot of trophies going into an Inter Milan side that's already boasting a lot of um, ex-Premier League players. Um, Bayern Munich also um, makes a bit of sense, even though I think he would be that seems a bit less likely, considering he's probably not going to start over Josua Kimmich or Leon Goretzka in um, Bayern Munich's two man midfield. But um, their incoming manager, Julian Nagelsmann, might fancy him. I'm not sure. Um, Barcelona, on the other hand, um, he would probably be a starting midfielder for them straight away. Um, his connection with Frankie de Jong for the national team, uh, the Dutch national team, I should say, would be uh, a big bonus, I'm sure, um, for the uh, Catalan side. And yeah, I think it'd be great for him to go there. I mean, it's not a bad swan song for your career, is it? Go and sign a three, four-year contract at Barcelona, live by the sea in Spain, sit, play in the camp now and um, play alongside Lionel Messi for a bit. I can think of worse things to do. Yeah, and I think, you know, given if you look at his career so far, he's won the league in the Netherlands with, with PSV. He obviously came to England, had a year at Newcastle before coming to Liverpool where he's won the Champions League, the league here. He, I know he said he's not wanted to leave, but you could, you know, forgive him for wanting a new challenge and maybe get into another country and trying to do the same thing there, win the league and win the, win some trophies there. And his medals, you know, his medal haul is actually really impressive when you when you look at it. Um so Mo Salah obviously was in for the golden boot on the last day of the season. There were still individual awards up for grabs as well as the Champions League spaces. Um, he missed out to Harry Kane in the end. He had quite a few chances, didn't he? I think once it was 2-0 up and we were secure, um, everyone was basically trying to pass to Salah. I think there was one moment where Firmino almost didn't want to touch a ball to try and see if it would go in after, after a Salah shot. Um, obviously, he misses out on the golden boot, but... What a season for, for Mo again. His fourth year at the club and he, top scorer again this year by some some margin. He's just been absolutely fantastic, hasn't he? To play the position that he does on the right-hand side and to consistently get 20 goals plus without scoring that many penalties, uh, it, it's just absolutely outstanding. Um, again, I think it's just only us as Liverpool fans that give him the credit he deserves. I don't think neutrals still quite give him you know, the like I said, the credit he deserves for the amount of goals he's scoring, the amount of assists he's, he, he, uh, he sets up for his, his teammates. But I think we've said it all the way through this podcast since we started doing it. God knows where we'd be without him. I mean, if you think there's no chance we'd finish third if you take his goals out of the team. And 
it's it's not sometimes with salaries he's very rarely in a game sometimes but if you look at the West Brom game just two you know last weekend he only had that one chance and it was half a chance that just came from it was Firmino's par first touch oh sorry Mane's par first touch falls to Salah he hits it first time and it goes in it's that's what you need in a side that's going to challenge for trophies. It's all right, you know, having a chance every five minutes, but if you don't take it, it doesn't matter. But you need that ball to fall to the right person at the right time. And luckily this season, it's fallen to Mo Salah at the right time. And, you know, all the transfer speculation about maybe Liverpool have selling one of the front three, you know, if we want to make some moves in the market, I really hope it's not in because... He seems to be the one that we've been able to re- um, rely on since the minute he's walked through the door. Yeah, I mean, he's a um, he's a freak of nature, isn't he? I mean, physically, he clearly looks after himself incredibly well. Um, he, I think one of my favourite things about him is, is similar to um, the departing Sergio Aguero. He can score all types of goals, um, whether it's from long range, tap-ins, um, you know, curlers from the edge of the box. Um, he's getting better on his right foot, at least. Um, he's not that bad in the air for a little fella as well. Um, having a player who can play equally well on the wing or up front, score loads of different kinds of goals, creates a lot of chances, it's just a godsend. And for them to be as strong and fast as Salah is as well, I mean, he is just always a threat. You can't push your left back too high against Salah because if you do and Liverpool get the ball, he'll kill you. Um, and for us to lose him would just be, even if Kylian Mbappe came in um, as his replacement, would just be such a huge blow um, for Liverpool. And I really hope that any bids that come in for him are instantly rebuffed. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. I personally think that Salah will not not leave this summer. And there's been a, a little bit of talk on social media last week or two about maybe Salah will go or maybe Mane will go. I think Mane was linked with Dortmund earlier in, in the week. But I just personally think both of them are I'd absolutely you know, keep hold of. Not Salah particularly what he offers this season. After we had that first goal-scoring season where he broke the Premier League scoring record in his first year when he got 32 goals, everyone thought, or maybe it was a bit of a bit of a fluke. Um, but he showed that while he's not obviously hit 32 goals again, but his numbers have all have been pretty very consistent um, ever since. And like James says, where where on earth would we be without him? So I'm sure we'll see him back scoring goals again next season. Um, final point on the Palace game. Obviously, another clean sheet for Nat Phillips and Reese Williams. Do we think this is the last time we'll see these guys playing for Liverpool? Obviously, it was a massive freak of nature, really, what happened with the three centre-backs, Van Dijk, Gomez and Maffitt being out, ruled out for the season that we've had to bring these guys in. They would not expect to be playing Phillips last year at Stuttgart in, in German second tier and Reese Williams in you know non-league level. So... Do we think it's the last time we'll see them playing for Liverpool? And if so, how much credit do we need to give them for what they've done since they've been forced into the team? I think it's the last we'll see of Reese Williams. I think he'll be sent out on loan next season and probably be sold. It They'll probably contract run out, go as a free agent. Um, I think Nat Phillips might have played himself into Klopp's thoughts a little bit more. Um, I think he might have, because obviously we know Matip is very injury prone. 
So yeah. if Canate doesn't happen, then I think Nat Phillips has sort of played his way in, into Klopp's mind, thinking, well, I've, the way he's played this season, I've, I've got somebody who can come in and step in for, for Joel Matip um, if things go wrong with injury-wise again. Um, I think they both deserve a lot of credit. I think Kabak obviously deserves the credit as well. I think he, he's been, especially the last couple of games he played, he was outstanding. But for me, it was the Burnley game, which you know I think they deserve the most credit for. You're playing against Chris Wood, who consistently scores double-figure goals every season. He's a menace. He's big. He's strong. He's, I didn't realise how quick he was until he, he got behind Reese Williams at one point. Um, but I think they both deserve a lot of credit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they deserve a lot of credit for what's happened. It's OK that we've scored the goals going forward, you know, four at United and two at West Brom and three at Burnley. But at the same time, those two have been solid enough. Yes, Steve, there was a few iffy moments in both games where you've, the inexperience got the better of them at times but on a whole um, I think fans and the club should be very grateful for those two players for stepping in um, with zero experience of playing in the Premier League and managing to help the club secure top four Now, you guys know how I feel about a certain member of, <laughs> of this new centre-back partnership um, I, I do think they both deserve credit to, for stepping in. If, if anything, just to free Fabinho up to go back into central midfield. Yeah, if, that, if, if that doesn't happen, Liverpool don't finish in the top four. That is a fact. Um, Nat Phillips, I've said before, I think if he wants to stay and be fifth choice, all power to him, that's fine. But I think if he says, I want to be, and which he would be within his rights to ask for, I want to be in contention next season, even with Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, and whichever centre-back comes in, whether it be Kabak, Kanate, Kalatikar, whoever, um, I want to be ahead of the new signing. Then I would say, look, if you want first-team football, we don't blame you, but you are not at the level that we are looking for, for someone who is going to come in and you know, play Chinese League football regularly. Like I, I like Nat Phillips, but he's not at that level. He just isn't to play regularly at that point. So if he wants to find a Premier League move to someone a little further down the table, play first team football, then as I said, all power to him. I wish him all the best and thank you for everything. Reese Williams, uh, he's tried his best, is what I will say for him. But I don't think, despite the fact he's young, he's raw, he's clearly not ready. And I don't think he ever will be for not just Liverpool standard football, for Premier League standard football. I just do not think he is at the required level. Um, you know, he's had, he's had one or two decent... Like He played quite well against Palace for the majority, apart from that shocker of a miss from the corner. Um, but... For most of the time at Liverpool, he's just been so erratic and just show that he really is not up to the standard. And if he gets a uh, move to a championship or a League One club, I think he will have found his level and he'll, I'm sure he'll have a very good career. Yeah, I think well, when James mentioned there, he didn't realise how quick Chris Wood was getting behind the back of Reese Williams. I did think to myself, maybe that show us because Reese isn't very quick. But, um, but yeah, uh, I kind of I agree with you there, Max. I think with Nat, we know that Klopp can be quite loyal to certain personalities. And I definitely think that Nat Phillips is someone that he might be loyal to in the sense of keeping him in the club. But I think going forward, Klopp will know that he's not 
you know, like a Champions League level centre-back. Um, I, I think he'll, he'll know that, but he might say to Phillips, like, I, I won't force you out if you want to stay and try, you know, try and force your way in in training or if, God forbid, more injuries happen, that kind of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, but I think particularly for Phillips, given his age, he's 24 now, he needs to be playing regular football. And I can't see that happening at Liverpool next next season. If you, I'm sure we will sign a centre back. It's looking likely it'll be Canate, and maybe Kabak doesn't doesn't join, which will be a shame. But with the other three coming back as well, I just can't see where Phillips is going to get the minutes he needs at his age. So he's done he's done great. He deserves all the plaudits. But yeah, will I think for his own career, it would be best for him to move on. With Reese, I agree with Max as well. Not. I, don't think he's probably ever going to be good enough for the level that Liverpool want. Maybe he'll go on the loan next next season. I don't think we'll sell him just given his age. I don't think he's like a type of player that Liverpool would look to sell this early in his career. But I can see him going out on loan and eventually going down the leagues or maybe a lower half Premier League team. But we'll see. So overall then, if we have a look at the season as a whole, we finished third, like, like we said, secured top four. It's a bit of a difficult one to assess, I guess, but we obviously won eight of our last 10 games, which has kind of forced us into top four. The door was very much shut, but we kind of prized it open and forced our way through. How do we assess the season overall? You look at the third place finish at the start of the season, you say we finished third, we'd be disappointed because we want to retain the title. But given everything that's happened, do we put this season in the, it was a good season category with the context of the injuries? I think you just put it in the context of top four secured, get ready for next season. I think, I think yeah. you know, we're at around Christmas time where we were top of the table, you know, obviously our ambitions and uh, we set our sights on retaining, the, you know, the Premier League. But I think as the weeks went on and the injury started to pile up, we quickly realised that, yeah, this is, that's just never going to happen. And then, you know, I think if you go and listen to one of the shows maybe two months ago or a month and a half ago when we were sat here saying, I don't even think we're going to get top four now. And then to sit here and say you've got third and, you know, we finished five points behind the Manchester United side who have had the best season ever since Fergie's left and we're having a down year and we're only five points behind second. Um, but I think if you look at a certain point in the season in particular, I think if you look at that six home games in a row where, you know, without a win, you know, look, if we finished 20 points behind Man City this year, you know, those six wins is 18 points. I'm not saying... You know, if we'd won them, you know, we'd be fighting for... I'm just saying, just that block of games there just completely derailed the season. You never know what could have happened, but I think now it's just a case of, you know, go to the Euros, players rest up, have a bit of a break when you come back. And if you're not going on international duty, have a nice rest and we'll see you back for pre-season and we go again next season for another Champions League and Premier League campaign. I think that's it. Um I, I don't think, given even with the injuries we've had, I don't think you can ever class um, the drop-off from winning a title to where we are now as a successful season. No trophies in a third-place finish after winning a title is not a successful season. No matter the context that's involved, it has not been successful. Um, have the players done well to come back uh, from adversity? Yes, they've done incredibly well. The fight that they showed um, and the determination to claw our way back into those Champions League spots was fantastic. Um, I do think mistakes were made along the way. I think that um, 
and I understand why, but in hindsight, the decision to continually play Jordan Henderson and Fabinho at centre-back when Nat Phillips and Reese Williams were fit, um, along with Ozan Kabak at various points, looks like a pretty big error in judgment from uh, uh, from Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, very easy to say that in hindsight with a great run of um, results um, once they came in and Fabinho went back into midfield. But I think that if that had happened sooner, we could have overtaken uh, Manchester United, particularly with their pretty indifferent. Well, I mean, pretty much everyone at the top of the table except us had a pretty indifferent um, run in um, with results. A lot, a lot of teams near the top of the table, Leicester, Chelsea, United, even City to an extent, didn't have the best of run ins um, uh, heading towards the end of the season. So I think if Phillips and Williams have managed to play as centre halves for a while longer. We might have been able to get that extra um, few points to finish second, maybe. Is that what you put it put it down to, James? So we we look at those last ten games. As I say, we win eight win out of eight out of those ten after the Fulham defeat. Obviously, the two draws against Leeds and Newcastle also came from late goals we conceded. So it isn't inconceivable if we held on to those two games that win 10 out of 10 of the of the last 10. Then we're talking about, like you say, maybe we could pick Man United. And I think actually, if you look at our points this year, the difference between us and City in first is a smaller gap than us between us and City last year when we um, finished first and they finished second. Like we're actually closer to them, to them now in third than they were to us last season. So it shows how great last season was. But is that what you put it down to, what Max says there, just moving Fabinho into the midfield? That's the key thing that's led to this run of form. Yeah, that's been huge. And, you know, the form of Thiago as well. I mean, I don't think I've enjoyed watching a central midfielder play for Liverpool as much since Steven Gerrard left. I mean, just in awe sometimes, his first touch, the way he's dropping a shoulder. Um, I think, like Max said, putting Fabinho back into midfield and obviously the form of Thiago coming in at the right time has just been you know exactly what the you know what we've needed in that midfield um yeah like you said I'm not saying that if we'd have won those six games and we'd have held on to the two wins against Leeds and Newcastle that we'd be sitting here as Premier League champions because you know the, the league table doesn't lie you you know you finish where you finish and you know you deserve to finish where you do um but I do just think that that little block of six games and you know, the injuries is the reason why we have finished third. I don't, if we'd had a fully fit side and finished third, I'd be a little bit more concerned to think, oh, you know, everyone's had a bit of a drop off, but I think it's been understandable the way they've played the last couple of years. Do you, you know, if you're running at full speed and then someone says stop, then all, you know, you're going to fall over. There is going to be a point where you're going to, you know, the fitness, you know, when the mentality is going to, is going to, be in question. I mean, we've questioned it enough times. Are they the mentality monsters that Klopp's called them? And I think they've shown it these last eight of the 10 games. I think after that Newcastle game, that's where I thought it was done. You know, you can't get away with a goal from VAR in the 95th minute and then go and concede in the 96th minute and then expect to still qualify for the Champions League. Um, But we'll just have to see. And uh, hopefully, you know, the two, you know, Matip, Gomez, Van Dijk coming back, you know, the likes of Mane is going to have a full summer off. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see what they come back like. But I fully expect us to be Manchester City's closest rivals. Because um, as you say, the points difference between us and them this season and them in 
us last season, it's uh, it's a bit more in our favour. Yeah, um, I think as James alluded to, I think the biggest thing that we're going to see next season, given the form that he showed towards the end of the season, is Thiago really coming to the fore. He's just such, he's so technically good. Um, his little shimmies, his ability to beat a man on the turn is as good as anyone. Um, and the partnership that he's starting to forge on the right side with Trent and Salah is looking very, very profitable. I mean, that right side, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Mo Salah and Thiago Alcantara yeah. is as good as any right side in football. I mean, like th those names are ridiculous. Um to put into a three. Um, I think that work needs to be done. Um, there's a lot of buzz going around social media as we speak that I've seen Ibrahima Kanate um, is apparently done. Um, uh, there's still, you know, confirmation to be having that, obviously, but um, reports, um, one report from Germany saying that he's on his way to Anfield. So if that does get done, that's part of the work that needs to be done in the transfer window um, but a new forwards needed a replacement for Ginny Wijnaldum's needed Liverpool needs to show some ambition going into next season if they want to compete with City and probably a Chelsea who have found a striker who is capable of scoring more than six Premier League goals in a season um, we can't be that lucky again um, in terms of Chelsea not being able to find the net and have teams around us apart from City and to a lesser extent United performing to their optimum. If we want to challenge next season, we have to move forward. Obviously, we've kind of mentioned how, you know, with the mental mentality monster thing, we questioned earlier on in the season. Um, but I think it really came to the fore in these last few games, particularly if you look at the last three games in isolation as well. West Brom away. I know they were already relegated, but Sam Allardyce side are never nice to play against. 1-1 in the last minute, your keeper comes up and scores <laughs> scores the winning goal. What more can you say? But then you go away to Turf Moor again. Another awful place to go. A cold Wednesday night against Sean Dyche's Burnley. First time in however long because of the pandemic that Burnley have had fans back in the stadium. You're going to expect a tough evening for poor, you know, poor Reese Williams back there. Get the goal just before half time, and then Burnley really pushed him when it was just one nil. But again, you, you, Big Nat pops up to get the second, and and then Ox comes on and gets has a nice little cameo with a goal. How big do we think those? Obviously, those two wins are biggest silly question to say how big do we think they were, but the way we ground out those performances in a way that we haven't seen the club necessarily do in 2021. Just how promising was that, and did it kind of show that? You know, maybe not Liverpool is back, but this is the Liverpool we know and the Klopp Liverpool that we know and love over the last few years who have that ability to just kind of roll with the punches and get the results that are needed when it's most important. It was just a flashback to last season and the season before that. I mean, it's, it's especially the, the season we came second to Manchester City, the amount of times we were nil-nil with 10, five minutes to go or we were 1-1 one, one with 15 minutes to go and... You know, you just keep on grinding. You, you carry on getting Trent to whip the balls into the boxes. You carry on the press. You, you know, you don't let them get out of their own half. And it, it was just like watching the Liverpool of, I'm going to say Liverpool of old. It's not that long ago, but it feels like it was a lifetime ago. Um, I think the main thing about those three games and the three clubs you've just mentioned is 
I think a team are more dangerous when they have nothing to play for. Mm. So, you know, West Brom already down. Aston Villa already finished. Burnley. Burnley already finishing, um, you know, above the relegation zone. Crystal Palace already safe. I think they're the most dangerous times to play teams. Um, I mean, look at Chelsea yesterday against Aston Villa. I had Aston Villa in my mind. Um, you know, Villa had nothing to play for. Chelsea did. Um, and, you know, they were very lucky. And, you know, Villa beat them on the day and beat them 2-1 comfortably. So I think, you know, that's to come away from those three games against teams who can be a little bit more expansive than what they usually are. So you can't set up against them to how you usually would because Burnley might not be as defensive or West Brom actually had a go for once against a big side. They didn't sit back. They actually had a go at Liverpool. So I think that's what makes those three performances um, so, you know, as good as what they were and the, the, the three points were as massive as what they were. And hopefully now we can take this eight game, you know, eight wins out of 10 into next season and, you know, start it off with five wins in a row and then try and build the momentum from there. Yeah, I think... Um... I think the Burnley game is big, but I think the biggest game was beating United. That was just, yeah. with how poorly we have performed at Old Trafford since Jurgen Klopp came yeah, in, um, it has been such a bogey ground for us. I think to win in that, especially considering we went 1-0 down to a moronic own goal, um, I think that could have very easily just killed the top four in its crib if we had just done the usual Liverpool thing against Man United at Old Trafford, let in an early goal, an, well, an early-ish goal, hammer on the door for an hour, hit the post maybe, penalty shout, and then Marcus Rashford runs up the other end on the break and scores to make it 2-0. I think, I think a result like that would have killed it. But the momentum of beating your biggest rivals at their ground when you have when you're playing a centre-back pairing that could have very well just come from work experience, um, then it's such a big psychological boost. And then the goal from Allison against West Brom, like, yes, that goal in the end wasn't needed. Um, that draw could have just stayed the same and Liverpool still would have made top four. But I'm not sure we beat Burnley and yeah. Palace as comfortably as we do if Allison. Um, doesn't score that goal. Yeah, completely agree. That was really, that's probably the moment of the season, isn't it? That Alisson goal from a Liverpool perspective. It was just so so great. Um, so we spoke a little bit about players that need to come in, centre-half, uh, Genie Vijnaldum replacement, probably another forward. But in terms of this summer feels like a big one, probably Klopp's first biggest summer since he joined in terms of refreshing the squad and that goes for outgoings as well there's a few players who are going to have big question marks on their heads this summer um Divock Origi, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Jadon Shakiri, Naby Keita those four I've mentioned there do we see them all departing do we see a couple of them going and more generally just how big do you think this summer is for Klopp and for FSG? Uh, uh, from the four you mentioned I expect maybe two of them to go got to be very careful you can't just get rid of all your squad players because they're not good enough and then We've had the season, we've had this season where we've needed them. And then, to be honest, I think if Manchester City get Harry Kane, it doesn't matter what we do in the summer, I think it's over. Um, if Man City get Harry Kane, then <laughs> their team would just be unbeatable. Um, yeah, um, as I alluded to before, this summer is huge, it is absolutely huge. If Liverpool don't do well this summer, it's back to the 
competing for the top four and just watching Man City just backhand everyone out of their way um, as they romp to another title. Um, a new centre-half is needed. Um, Canate would be fantastic if he comes in. Um, a new striker is needed. I think it's interesting because I, I've seen a number of names linked. They're very different types. Like Daniel Marlin's been linked, but he's very similar to the kind of forwards we already have. He's small, technical, likes to run in behind the line, usually needs a bit of space to operate in. And then we've been linked to other strikers, like um, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but uh, Dusan Vlajevic, who plays for Fiorentina. He is a much more traditional sort of number nine he's a big lad um i mean he's, he's technically fine um scored um a very wide range of goals um but yeah it's very interesting to see that and i i think we need more of a an actual nine in terms of outgoings um i think we could see cater i think unless a good offer comes in for cater i think not sure i get rid especially with Ginny getting out the door Unless you get the money to bring in someone who is good enough to come into the eleven and do their job well, then I, I'm not sure I get rid of him. Harry Wilson, Jordan Shakiri, Divock Origi, um, Marco Grijic, if we can get rid of him, um, Loris Karras, we might be able to get a, a couple of million for him, maybe, um, are probably the players that I would say are the easiest to move on um won't get a huge amount of money for anyone except maybe shakiri we could get 15 maybe 15 20 ish million for him i mean the clubs who've been linked with him the likes of lazio roma and Sevilla, they've got a bit of cash at least so um you know we'd certainly with all of that lot heading out i'd like to see us get you know, 35, 40 million for the loss of them um, would be probably my guesstimate at how much we get in this COVID market anyway. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes in and who goes out. But like you said, I think it's a massive summer for Klopp and FSG. It's probably the start of the end of this Klopp cycle of players. Genie will be like, he's the kind of the first significant outgoing, isn't he, in terms of the original team that Klopp started to build. Um Genie and, and Mane were probably the first two like really significant signings he made. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of mini rebuild starts this summer because the front three are not getting any younger as well. So, you, you know, maybe not this summer, but next summer you might see one of those leave. So, yeah, I think we really need to start putting the foundations together now um, in terms of what this club and the squad is going to look like for the next two or three seasons. Before we go, we'll go with our big question of the week, as we do every week, where I put a question to James and Max from the world of football to get their thoughts. And this week it's on FIFA's proposals for a World Cup every two years. Now, this hasn't been officially confirmed as happening, but there was a vote earlier in the week and the majority of FIFA members voted in favour for a biannual World Cup rather than its traditional four years. Seems a bit like a money uh as it all everything in football a bit of a money grab situation to me more football more regularly equals more cash in fifa's pockets do you guys agree or would we like to see a world cup more regularly no it's just another money scheme to try and 
bleed the competition for as much money as they can. I think, uh, like you said, what makes the World Cup so special is is only four years, and I think that's what makes it more special for the players because they might only get two World Cups in their career, you know, eight years if they're lucky playing at the elite level, um, which I think makes it more special for them. You know, to get called up to a World Cup squad, you know, for professional football, it must be the best feeling in the world. Um, But I think if you were getting that phone call every two years, it might just take the novelty away from it. But also, what happens to the Euros? Does the Euros then become every year? Like, does that then, so what happens? With the, it's just going to be, is, yeah. like, the UEFA Nations League will then be every six months. It's just going to be an absolute nightmare. But no, I think it needs to stick at the four because I think that's what makes the World Cup so special. Yeah, I mean, the World Cup, genuinely, in, in a World Cup year, the World Cup is the highlight of my year. I get so excited every single time. And a huge part of that is because it's every four years. It's something I look forward to for ages beforehand. It's the same case with the Euros. If you make it every two years, it's only going to dilute the absolutely amazing product that is the World Cup. And if you do that, it makes it less enjoyable and it's just going to turn it into yet another just money-spinning artificial piece of crap. Um and I really, really, really don't want to see that. And it will lead to more players getting injured. It will be more tired players. Therefore, the football will be of a lesser quality. Gianni Infantino will be laughing his way all the way to the bank. Um, all of which I don't want to see. It just, yeah, it's a terrible idea. The only way it could possibly work with how the Euros are structured now is if you did it in odd-numbered years like year one and three and then the euros are played in one of the years in between that is the only way that it could work and it just would be such a mess for player fitness i mean like even teams that aren't in europe would need to have you know full squads that you could do an 11 one week and then another 11 another week to even maintain performance standards it would be a ridiculous idea and i hope it never happens yeah, I think we're all pretty unanimous in that. I think I think these people, they always try and sell it as more football is, you know, is good because more football is more enjoyable for the fans. But ultimately, more football is actually bad. If anything, there's probably too much already with all the various club competitions and and, and everything that, and all the international breaks that we have. And it just, like you say, diminishes the quality, more injuries. And the only people that win really are the top brasses at FIFA. So we hope it doesn't happen, but I guess we'll just have to watch this space. James, Max, as always, thank you for your time. It's been a good show this week. We've not had many this season, but with the last two or three have been all right, haven't they? So thanks for your time, guys. Thanks for having us again. Yeah, it's been more of a laugh, this one. <laughs> yeah, it's been great um, doing this um, all season. It's been a nice little distraction from the crap that um, we've had to put up with for a lot of the time. So yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, and the season might be over, but there's plenty still going on at Anfield Central on our Twitter at Anfield underscore Central and on our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk. There's plenty of content going on there all the time. And our podcasts are released on Acast and Apple Pod. So until next time, thank you and goodbye.